Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 107, John the Eighth. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. Today's Pope John was Roman-born. Our first notice of him in history is that he was the archdeacon of the Church of Rome and thus participated in many of the synods held in Rome over the past couple episodes. At the death of Pope Adrian II in 872, there was a contention between opposing parties as to who should be the next bishop of Rome. And though John seems to have been the favorite candidate, he was opposed by the charismatic bishop of Porto, Formosus, who we already met in the last couple episodes. Formosus had many supporters at the time, but he was absolutely forbidden for a bishop to switch dioceses, and Formosus was already a bishop. And so John was elected Pope, Pope John VIII, in December of 872. But let's stay with Formosus for a bit, because he's going to continue in our story, and he's going to play a big role. In August of 875, the Holy Roman Emperor Louis II died. Now, if you remember, the old Holy Roman Empire of Charlemagne at this point was divided amongst his relatives, who were all squabbling between themselves as to who how they should divide things, who could get the biggest part. It was divided eventually into several quasi-independent territories, and each of them were ruled by a different relative of Charlemagne, but with one person as Holy Roman Emperor crowned by the Pope. That was Louis II. At his death, John VIII decided the successor would have to be the French King Charles the Bald, and he sent an envoy headed by Formosus to Charles to invite him to come to Rome to be crowned Holy Roman Emperor. Now, this wasn't necessarily a done deal. Louis himself had named someone else as his successor, Louis the German, another Carolingian, who was also gunning for the job. And there were rumors that perhaps either the Roman Senate or the Pope himself was being bribed by Charles the Bald to declare him emperor. Charles did make his way to Rome, and on Christmas Day, 875, was crowned and anointed by the Pope at St. Peter's Basilica. With a new emperor in Rome, John VIII began to take advantage of the political power at hand. He accused some of his rivals in the opposing faction, especially the nomenclator William and a man named George of the Aventine in the papal administration of financial misconduct and other worse crimes, including outright murder. And the charges seem to have been true. These guys were not necessarily the best dudes, but they were part of an opposing faction from the Pope, and so he took advantage of this time to really get rid of them. The two fled Rome, taking a lot of money with them, as well as other papal officials who seemed to be members of that faction who were afraid also for their own security. And among that group was Formosus. And so John had all these exiles from Rome tried in absentia and then excommunicated. Now, before moving on with the story, we have to fill in a detail or two. If you remember from many episodes back, a group of Islamic pirates, who history calls the Saracens, had captured Sicily and were raiding up and down the Italian coasts. They had been defeated by a combined force of Roman and southern Italian city-states, but now they were back. And in fact, most of the southern Italians had made an alliance with them. John was determined to kick them out of Italy, and immediately upon being named Pope, he began to work with the Frankish Emperor and the southern Italian cities to defeat the Saracens. With the Emperor, he regularly reminded him of his duty to protect Rome. With the southern Italians, he wrote strong letters and worked diplomatically, although at times a little brutally, to try and get them back on the Christian side of things, which eventually he accomplished. In 877, Charles the Bald, at the insistence of the Pope, 
and to the chagrin of his nobles back home, led an expedition down to southern Italy to defeat the Saracen raiders. He met the Pope in Vericelli in northern Italy, and then the two moved on to Pavia, where they began to strategize, when all of a sudden a new threat appeared at the horizon. Carloman, the son of Louis the German, decided he wanted to be the emperor, and he had entered northern Italy with a large army. Charles and John retreated, moving towards France, and at the town of Tortone, Charles learned that his nobles would not be sending reinforcements to help him, so he retreated back home and the Pope did the same. While Charles the Bald was on his way back to France, he died, and Carloman quickly conquered most of northern Italy. So now the Pope was in a jam. His ally, whom he had supported for the imperial crown, was dead, and his enemy, Carloman, was marching on Rome. But an outbreak of disease struck Carloman's forces, and he himself was paralyzed, and he had to return home. But that didn't mean everything was good now for John VIII, because some of his other enemies, including Lambert, the Duke of Spoleto, thought that this would be a good opportunity to strike at the Pope, since all his imperial support was gone. Lambert, acting on the authority of Carloman and with the support of Formosus and the other exiles from Rome, entered the city and captured the Pope. Now, it wasn't quite that blatant. Lambert offered in a letter to, quote-unquote, help the Pope, and then he decided to make a, quote-unquote, pilgrimage to Rome, and was even welcomed by the Pope. But once he was in the city, he seized it, and with the help of the Duke of Tuscany, imprisoned the Pope in St. Peter's. They eventually left after about a month of plundering Rome and re-establishing Formosus and his friends to their properties, but the damage was done. John VIII immediately excommunicated Lambert and got on a boat for France. He arrived in May of 878, and there he tried to get all the feuding Carolingians back under one emperor. His candidate first was the son of Charles the Bald, Louis the Stammerer, but for whatever reason he didn't get anointed emperor. Then the Pope looked to another young nobleman named Boso, the son-in-law of the previous emperor, Louis II. But since he wasn't a Carolingian by blood, it probably wasn't going to happen for him. Now, regardless, the Pope called a synod of French bishops, and they all agreed to excommunicate the faction which had been opposing the Pope, including our friend Formosus. In fact, Formosus had fled to France, and John found out and had brought him before the synod and made him sign a document saying that he would never, ever, ever, ever again serve as a cleric or enter Rome or seek the papacy. But this is not the last we're going to hear about Formosus. Now, most of this maneuvering, this political maneuvering between Carolingians came to naught in the end. Louis the Stammerer died in 879 from paralysis, the same that had struck Carloman, and eventually the imperial crown fell to the son of Louis the German, Charles the Fat, who seems to have been lazy and incompetent and probably fat. As a side note, if you're getting confused with all the Carolingians and all their crazy nicknames, you really you can't make these up. Well, they're all named Louis or Charles or something like that, but then they all have a crazy nickname. Then we can put a link to a family tree of all the Carolingians in the notes to this podcast. So that can help you sort out to see who's related to who, who's running what country, and where they all come from. So don't worry. The Carolingians aren't going to be around for much longer. Their whole thing is going to die out pretty soon. So you're not going to have to worry about remembering all these different connections. Now, back to Charles the Fat. He did end up helping the Pope. He invaded Lombardy and he prevented further violence from Lambert. But he didn't really care that much about the Pope or Rome. And he didn't really listen to him. John wanted a guarantee from him to help defeat the Saracens, along with guarantees for other things, other political stability. And this he did not give. But in 881, after a lot of cajoling by the Pope, asking for help against the Saracens, Charles finally came to Rome and was crowned Holy Roman Emperor in February. But he didn't do too much to help, and soon he was just back in Germany. 
Okay, so hopefully that settles some things at least. Now we need to backtrack a little and look to see what's happening in the East. At the end of the last episode, we saw the great missionary St. Methodius imprisoned by Germans while serving as a missionary in Moravia. The Germans accused him of heresy and unorthodoxy in the use of the Slavonic instead of the language Latin in the liturgy. In 873, John found out about Methodius' imprisonment and decided to act immediately. To calm the Germans down, he asked Methodius to stop using Slavonic, but he also demanded his release from prison. Then he met with Methodius personally in Rome, determined that he was not a heretic, and then reapproved his use of Slavonic in the liturgy. Further east, if you remember from last week, Basil the Macedonian had deposed Phocius and reinstated Ignatius as Patriarch of Constantinople, and we had a whole ecumenical council about it. Well, in 877, Ignatius died, and he was replaced by a guy who had weaseled his way back into favor, and you can guess who that is. It is Phocius. So, Basil asked John VIII to recognize Phocius as Patriarch of Constantinople, and John wrote back saying, yes, I can do that on certain conditions. Phocius has to renounce all the things he said before about how heretical the West is and how heretical the Pope is and all the other things he disagreed with, and he has to annul the synods he held which condemned the Western Church, and he has to give Bulgaria back to the jurisdiction of the Western Church. Phocius did this, though when the letter was read to the priests in Constantinople from the Pope, he messed with the translation to make it seem a little less like a condemnation and to make him look a little bit better. Anyway, they agreed, and Phocius was now the legitimate patriarch of Constantinople. But this didn't mean an end to tensions with the East, especially the deal over Bulgaria. It won't really get off the ground. They basically stayed under Constantinople's jurisdiction. And the Pope and the patriarch also quarreled over the status of modern-day Croatia. But at least for now, the schism is over. John VIII died on December 16th, 882. It's unclear how he died. But one source has it that he had been poisoned by a relative, and then when he didn't die immediately, that he was bludgeoned to death with a hammer. It's only one source, but with the continuing violence that we're going to see as we get further along in this century, it's not necessarily out of the question. John seems to have been an active, direct, and hardworking pope. Even Phocius praised his manliness and vigor in going about his duties, despite the fact that he was older and prone to sickness. Many sources describe John VIII as cruel and vindictive, and there is certainly some evidence for this, though other evidence might contradict it. He was buried outside the porch of St. Peter's Basilica, and was succeeded by Marinus I, who we will meet next time. Thanks for listening to Habemus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com. There you can find our past episodes, check out any of the popes you missed, or any of our other shows. Or you can find us on iTunes. You can subscribe there. You can leave us a review, which really, really helps. If you can do that, that'd be great. Thank you. God bless you.